It's time for episode 206 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, September 13th, 2017. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast where a stopped clock is never right. I'm your host, Dan Morin, and I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Micah Sargent. Hi, Micah. How are you doing today? Hello, Dan. I am recovering from the event yesterday. <laughs> I think that the bags under my eyes weigh 20 pounds each, but uh, not not too bad. How about it's, you? Um, the Apple event hangover. It's a well-known uh, affliction among <laughs> people of our <laughs> profession. So uh, that is, yeah, we're, we're all recovering a little bit today. And we are joined by two fantastic guests on our show today. To my left... It's the wonderful Sholly McFarland. Welcome back, Sholly. Hello! Glad to be here. Delighted to have you. And to my left is Senior Editor at The Wirecutter, Dan Frakes. How you doing, Dan? Great. Glad to be here. Thank you. And this is the show, of course, where we discuss four tech topics. I'm going to kick things off today, and as you might expect, it's a pretty Apple-heavy day here at Clockwise because of the Apple event yesterday. So I noticed at the end of yesterday's event that uh, as they ran down the iPhone lineup, boy, there are a lot of iPhones. We got the SE, the 6S, and the 6S Plus, the 7, the 7 Plus, the 8, the 8 Plus, and the 10. That is a lot of phones. <laughs> It's a lot of phones. Apple smartphone lineup more crowded than ever. So my question for you guys, do you think that this is a weird sort of un-Apple, strange, like, Samsung-like move to, like, blanket the field? Um, and is that, like, a good move from a business perspective, or is it sort of just at odds with their vaunted simplicity? Shali, what do you think about this huge iPhone lineup? I've actually been getting a lot of questions from people asking me which one they should buy. So I would say that it's gotten a little complicated. I think people get the basics, that the plus version of each is bigger, and even that like the new iPhone 10 is the super fancy model. Uh, I think the real problem is the four other versions, the iPhone SE and then the 6S and then the 7 and then the 8. That is just a lot of... It's a lot of fine distinctions in there for, for people who are just coming in here with the simple question of which one they should buy. Um, and I, I went and I looked at the new visual comparison chart that Apple has online, and it doesn't even have price in the visual chart. You've got to click like several times, which I got to say, I think is a big oversight. I think it would be a lot easier to understand if there were basically just three models in big and little that tracked to inexpensive, standard, and deluxe. And I think I think it's a little confusing right now. But we have seen this happen. This is an Apple move, actually. I would say that Apple moves backwards and forwards with making things super simple and then them getting complicated and then them going back to super simple. We, we've definitely seen it with Macs before, so I don't think it's a big surprise. I think that you put that really well. Um, we do see that with, with different products. Even like Apple Watch has some interesting choices to get made there with uh, how it sort of all shakes out. Um, I think, yeah, it certainly isn't simple. And I have had those questions as well. Um, some of them came day of the event. And I was like, I cannot talk to you right now. But I promise I'll hit you up tomorrow, friends and family. Um, and kind of talking to them today about which iPhone makes sense. And I've been saying sort of the the thing that it seems many people are saying, if you got an iPhone 7, the 8 
isn't necessarily a great update, but uh, going to the iPhone 10 certainly would be from the 7. Otherwise, it, it might be for you. But yeah, all those different options and sort of what's the difference between the devices that Apple just announced. Um, it, it's kind of a tough thing. And when, you know, you can just go, okay, I can upgrade to the latest model. Uh, the paralysis of choice is a very real thing. So we'll see sort of how this shakes out. I think what, what Shelley says is right. It is confusing. Um, on the other hand, you know, Apple's always been criticized for basically having, you know, like two options and they're all expensive. And people have complained for years about um, not being able to get an iPhone for cheaper. And so it's actually kind of nice in that respect. And that like, if I have 550 bucks, I can go to Apple and say, hey, there's a $550 iPhone. Uh, and so there's there's a, you know, there's a three, four, 350, there's a 450, there's a 550, there's a seven, there's a, t you know, there's basically at every step of the, of the line, you can actually find something. And the nice thing is that almost all these are really actually pretty good phones. I mean, you know, the, the $350 Android phones are, you know, there, there, there's some really good $350 Android phones, but there's a lot of really bad $350 Android phones and having a, an iPhone SE, which actually has, you know, is basically like a 6S in a small package it's a pretty good phone, and um, it's nice that whatever your budget now, you can get a good phone that runs iOS and that has the Apple ecosystem, uh, rather than having to spend you know six hundred bucks. Yeah, I think there is a there is an argument that, like you said, they've Dan, they've they've gradiated it so they have like all the different levels, and basically anywhere from like three hundred and fifty bucks up to a thousand dollars, there's an iPhone that fits certainly your budget, depending on whether or not it's the iPhone you want. That's another question. I think what most perplexed me about this move was holding on to the six s and the six s plus um typically we would see Apple hold on to last year's model and and maybe an older model stick around, but now you've got the s e at the bottom end um and you do have that sort of interesting the s e and the ten sort of bracket the lineup now and and then you've got this the six seven and eight in there all at the same time, which I think is I definitely understand some people's eyes starting to glaze over at that point, but yeah, I guess they're trying to appeal at all the price points. So I, I don't think it'll hurt them since, like, in any way since people are going to still buy iPhones. Uh, thanks for your thoughts on that. Let's go to our second topic, which comes from Sholly. All right. Well, um, one thing was missing from yesterday's keynote, and that was any mention of macOS High Sierra. And I, I'm going to put in a plug right now. Be prepared. I'm working on Take Control of High Sierra, which is a Take Control book uh, right now. So I've been working with the beta for quite a while. And um, since we didn't hear about when it was going to ship or what's happening yesterday, I wanted to hear from you guys, what are you looking forward to in High Sierra? What are your favorite features um, that you're looking forward to using or that you have already been using if you're using the beta? Ooh, that is a very good question. Um, I think <laughs> the main thing is the way that uh, Apple has redesigned Safari with some interesting choices on um, machine learning to help keep apps from, or rather to keep sites from tracking you, I think is a really cool thing. And the other thing that I absolutely adore is one that I, I, I'm also running the beta and one that I use quite often. Um, we take a lot of photos uh, over at iMore and, and Mobile Nations for hero images and things like that. And being able to take photos, pop them into the photos app, and then go into a little bit more detail in terms of how the 
the, you know, the, the, the editing works. I, I love all of the changes in the photos app with, um, more options for white balance level curves, etc. So I'm really happy with the, the redesigns there. And then, like I said, the fact that, um, Apple's paying more attention to kind of how sites can track and, uh, trying to prevent that from happening and even going as far as like stopping media from autoplaying. So really, really interesting things there. Dan, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to jump on this Safari bandwagon here too. I I do (laughs) so much of my day is spent in a browser. Um, Unfortunately, I have to use Chrome for some of my work stuff because we're doing Google apps, but everything else I use Safari for. And like you said, just automatically blocking autoplay videos and blocking trackers. I mean, those are kind of minor things, but in the grand scheme of things are actually pretty big in terms of how they affect my day-to-day um, online stuff. But also, um, I love the fact that you can uh, have reader view on by default so that every site is only in reader view, or that you can do that for only particular sites. So like when I go to a site that I know is just like a crap site for ads and, and um, you know, big you know videos and stuff all over, I can say, make this always go to reader. I think that is like one of my favorite features. Uh, and just the fact that you can now do per site settings for, for, for particular websites, you can choose, I want this site to be zoomed in because their type is way too tiny for my old eyes. And, uh, you can choose location settings and notification settings and content blockers so that they only work on particular sites in whatever combination that you want. It's kind of the thing that like, I know most people will never touch because it's, it's just too, you know, in the weeds, but I am, you know, all over it. It's great. Well, you guys both took my <laughs> feature, so let's see. What's what's left in macOS High Sierra? Hmm. Well, there are a lot of <laughs> Yeah. There are a lot of little things in there. Probably the only other substantive upgrades are to photos. Um and as someone who does use photos but doesn't spend a lot of time editing images, I won't say I'm necessarily like eagerly anticipating those features, but certainly Apple has made a uh, history in the last few years of making photos better and better with each of their releases because they clearly know that so many people using the Macs do care about their photos so much. So I, I think certainly cleaning that up and improving some of the features in there uh, is going to be a big improvement. Um, I'm glad that they're adding new categories for the memories feature, which I've actually really love on my iPhone and glad to see that on the Mac as well. Um, adding some editing abilities for live photos is pretty great. Um, being able to use third-party apps to edit directly in photos will help a lot of people out, I know. Um, so, you know, certainly the photos improvements, in addition to all those fantastic Safari improvements, are probably the sort of the biggest features that uh, I'm looking forward to. Well, this is definitely the most low-key OS update we've had in a while. So I was really curious how you guys were going to answer this. I, of course, did have Safari down as well. Um, and I just want to no- notice that three of us are former Macworld people and auto-playing videos uh, were for many years the, the bane of our existence. So that's really exciting. One thing, my backup feature, because I had a feeling you guys wouldn't talk about it, was uh, new family sharing features. Mm. Uh, I I just wrote about this. And uh, so there's basically two things that are happening with family sharing. That's the feature that lets you share media and a calendar and reminders and a family photo album with a family group. It makes it really easy to do that. It makes a lot of things happen automatically. Um, But what is different in High Sierra is that there's a revamped managed family pane that brings all of those features into one place where you can see and set all the settings. And then another part of this is that Apple is now letting a family group share an upgraded iCloud storage plan 
which is really nice. Um, because I think for a lot of people, they need some more storage, but maybe they don't each need, you know, as much as the next level of storage offers. Um, so I think those features are going to be really convenient for people who use uh, family sharings. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't know about yet. But thank you. You're quite welcome. Glad we could all weigh in on that. And the Mac has not been forgotten. Uh, I'm checking the clock <laughs> here, and it is halftime here at Clockwise. So it's time to tell you about this week's sponsor. This week's episode of Clockwise is brought to you by our good friends at Linode. Linode lets you get set up in seconds with their fast and powerful hosting. Their tools are easy to understand, and they let you choose your resources in Linux distro, giving you the power and flexibility you need. And Linode plans now start at just $5 a month for a Linux server with a gigabyte of RAM in the Linode cloud. Whether you're just getting started with your first server or deploying a complex system, Linode is the right choice for you. They offer the fastest hardware and network with fantastic customer support behind it all. It's never been easier to launch a Linode cloud server. Linode guarantees 99.9% uptime for server availability. Once your server's up, they'll keep it that way. It's great for tasks like hosting large databases, running a mail server, running a private Git server, operating powerful applications, and so much more. I use it to host my personal website, and it is fantastic for that. I've had no complaints with them whatsoever. Uh, They have fantastic pricing options available. As I said, you can get a server with a gigabyte of RAM for just $5 a month, and you can go all the way up to 16 gigabytes of RAM for just $60 a month. Across the board, Linode offers twice the amount of RAM you'll get elsewhere. And as a listener of this show, if you sign up at linode.com slash clockwise, you'll not only be supporting us, but you'll also get $20 towards any Linode plan. And with a seven-day money-back guarantee, there's absolutely nothing to lose. So go to linode.com slash clockwise to learn more, sign up, and take advantage of that $20 credit. Or use the promo code clockwise2017 at checkout. Thank you so much to Linode for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. All right. That's it for halftime. Let's go to topic number three, which comes from you, Micah. Hey, so anybody who listens to the show and has listened to me talk knows that I like to talk about wireless charging and how much (laughs) I just do not like wireless charging because I think it's a big lie. However, Apple um, showed off its plans for wireless charging in all of its new iPhones, and they also introduced this uh, charging pad, AirPower. Uh, So I'm I'm, I'm wondering if uh, you think that wireless charging in its current state is indeed the future, if Apple helped convince you that it's a good idea, or if you were already on board. Dan, we'll start with you. Well, first of all, I think that the fact that Apple's embracing it means it's going to take off. I mean, I don't, I don't mean that like in a funny way. I mean, seriously, the fact that there's a company like Apple with that many phones out there who's adopting it, I think this is kind of like the, the bump that it needed. And, and I think it'll eventually be a feature of most phones and um, other devices too, like the, the charging pad will charge the new AirPod charging case too. But um you know, it's convenient, it's cool, it's nifty, but, uh, you know, I really hope that most devices, and especially phones and tablets, uh, will continue to let you at least have a way to charge with a cable, at least until, like, true wireless charging, where you just walk into a room and your phone starts mm. charging. When that arrives, that'll be cool. But um, until then, I really want to be able to use a cable, because I don't know about you folks, but right now, um, you know, wireless charging means putting your phone down on this pad, and it has to stay there until it's done. And I use my phone a lot when I'm when I'm charging it or my iPad. I'm I'm sitting on the couch or in bed, uh, and I'm actually using it while it's being charged with like this, the best thing ever, which is a ten foot charging cable. Best best thing you'll ever buy. Um, so I can't do that with wireless charging. So for me, I actually think that I'll probably charge more often 
unless it's just on the nightstand at night, I'll end up using a, using a cable a lot. Yeah, I hmm. so I, I'm definitely more find it more of a compelling story once Apple has sort of gotten a chance to explain where they see this going. And I thought it was particularly interesting that they've talked about doing stuff and working with the Qi um, consortium to sort of push forward wireless charging features because it makes me wonder if there is you know more to come in that department. I'm sure they've been working on on getting towards something that is more of a truly wireless charging, but it's just not not there yet. Uh, I, I certainly the air power for me I find attractive if only because I could put that on my nightstand which is where I charge my watch and my phone every single night I also think it's a big improvement for travelers now um, they mentioned cafes and airports and a bunch of other places where wireless charging is becoming more common the idea that you can just sort of like put your phone down on a table uh, and have it start charging is I think a potentially really big deal for a lot of people so I, I agree with Dan wholeheartedly that Apple's throwing its weight behind this is kind of I think you know, obviously it's been around for a while, but this is kind of a watershed moment for, for wireless charging because we're about to have millions more phones that, su- that support it and probably the most popular phones around. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes from here. Well, I would like to just take a moment to feel amused at the name Qi wireless charging because of the flow of power. <laughs> so I'll just put that out there. Um, well, I feel like charging is one of the biggest problems I have with my iPhone and my Apple Watch and my iPads, all these devices that have to be charged. I've experimented with a lot of different hubs for all of our devices to charge at night, but the dividers break, the cords break, um, the hubs are awkward to deal with because of the different sizes of the devices. So in principle, I am very excited about this. Um, And uh, you know, especially now that the new headphones also need to be charged. I mean, it's like everything has to be charged. Um, so from my perspective, not knowing if it works or not, I generally trust Apple to make things that do work. That's one of their better aspects as a company. Um, and I think this alone is a good reason to upgrade to the iPhone 8 if this really works. Um, I am, however, braced for the howl from people who already think wireless devices cause cancer. Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, All great answers and pretty much all of my feels encaptured, except for that last one. Uh, (laughs) I I think that... Wireless charging, you know, I, when when I think of wireless, I do think of the the Tesla, and I don't mean the car. I mean the Tesla uh, future, mm-hmm. where we can walk around inside of a house and light bulbs light up in our hands. But in this case, it's our phones that get charged, and this sort of in between thing is sort of a step back for me because I like the freedom of being able to charge while also using the device, um, which I can do with uh, one of the cords plugged in, a longer one. And the fact that like it has to sit on the, the, the pad in order to be charging is a little meh. And oftentimes, as we've noted, it's not necessarily going to be as quick, and in many cases, it is not as quick with charging. Um, I sort of like the idea of the overnight thing, certainly, where you can just slap everything down. I mean, obviously, I'm not using my Apple Watch overnight, and the, the AirPods can charge on that. But in terms of the phone, sometimes I just can't help it. And I want to, you know, see something (laughs) on the phone. So that that that's a little frustrating. But um, I I guess, yeah, in terms of, of Apple jumping on board, now we've got like, all of the major phone makers on board with wireless charging. So this is good in terms of continuing to improve the technology. And fingers crossed, I'll soon have one of those big, scary Tesla thingies that shoots sparks of electricity out, but is charging (laughs) all of the things in my house. So until then, let's move on to Dan's question. 
All right, so um, way back when, when the first iPhone was uh, was released, I think it was like five and hundred ninety nine dollars, and that's with a contract. And people were were outraged. I remember, like, just the people were aghast. They're like, "Oh my gosh, it's too expensive!" But it was to the point where Apple actually lowered the price to three ninety nine and, and credited those of us who bought it early like two hundred bucks. Um, but now we're talking about a phone, the the iPhone ten, that starts at a thousand dollars and can go up to eleven hundred fifty uh, with the top storage. And if you want Apple Care on top of it, which a lot of people seem to be considering, considering it's it's got a glass back and a really expensive screen, that's another two hundred bucks on top of it. So my question for you, I, you all, is uh, how much is too much for a phone, and uh, and are you considering buying the ten? So this is dangerous territory, Dan. Um, I, you know, how much is too much for a phone? Um, you know how much is too much for a computer i guess or or an mm. ipad right like all these things regularly reach over a thousand dollars now and i guess it depends on how much you use it and how much you're looking for to like get out of all these features um for me i think the smartest thing apple has ever done in this market is the iphone upgrade program um i am a subscriber of the iphone upgrade program so i basically pay a monthly fee which gets me not only you know a phone but also apple care and I can trade in my phone every year. So at that point, you start feeling like, well, if I'm not trading in my phone every year, I'm really not getting the most out of this, right? Um, so I, I definitely feel like I am, I'm ready to upgrade the iPhone 7. And I, yeah, it's a lot more. I mean, it's like 20 bucks a month more for the uh, top-end uh, iPhone 10 from the, basically going from the, the iPhone 7 I have now to, let's say, the a comparable iPhone 10, which would have to be the larger model. Uh, and... I'm thinking hard about that, but at the same time, you know, it's hard for me to feel like the 8 is a significant enough upgrade, and especially for someone in, in our line of work, having the 10 and being able to write about the 10 is going to be a really big deal for me, so I kind of feel like I have to justify that. So I, I guess, you know, the sort of capitalist answer to this is how much is too, ex like, how expensive is too expensive a smartphone? I guess it's like, how much will you pay for it, right? Like, if you'll pay $1,000, it's clearly not too expensive, Um for you anyways. So I I think that's a big reason, as we talked about on top of the show, for having this big spread of prices in this huge lineup now is like you can justify having a $1,000 iPhone if it's not the only iPhone you have. So when I went to get some background on this, I was wondering, I was like, so how expensive can smartphones get? Um, and I was actually amused to see that there's this whole ecosystem of gilded smartphones. <laughs> there's like... <laughs> Legend offers iPhones plated with 24 karat gold with uh, hand-engraved Chinese symbols. And another brick offers phones that are gold and platinum, and they have diamonds around the Apple logo. It's kind of similar in the Android phones. There's a $9,000 uh, Android phone from Bentley with a titanium case. So what I learned was clearly there are people who like to throw down a chunk of cash for the fanciest iPhone. And I guess in that context, $1,000 isn't, isn't all that much. But there are pros and cons. On the one hand, my iPhone is the most essential piece of technology I have. I take it with me everywhere. I use it for everything. I live blog on my iPhone for uh, school district issues here uh, in my city. Um, I use it for everything. But um, by the same token, it's easy to lose. It's easy to break. I'm sure muggers are going to be super psyched by this news. Um, so for me, the cons outweigh the pros. This one is not for me. But I'm, I'm happy that the rich people 
Well, get to have a fancy phone. <laughs> we're, not, we're not all rich, Dolly. Come on. Yeah, I'm about to start talking, and I'm like, crud, I'm going to say that I want this phone, but I'm not rich. It's okay. It's okay. Don't feel shamed. Embrace it. I'll have to give up my avocado toast. <laughs> I'm not giving up my house, though. I just bought it. Uh, no, I didn't. You know, it depends on like what, what the question is sort of directed at, of course, is how much is too much for a smartphone in terms of are people going to buy it? Or how much is too much for yeah. a smartphone in terms of whether I can afford it or how much, you know what I mean? There, there are different sort of breakdowns there. And honestly, I fully expect that I'm going to be fighting people on, you know, at, at 2 a.m. my time uh, to try and get this phone and the, the phone's going to run out and it's going to be you know, backdated. So I don't think it's too much to keep people from buying it. Certainly, if you want the phone of the future, if you want the phone with the giant screen, then this is what you kind of have to to pay to have it. So um, yes, I will be uh, selling my house and turning in all my avocado toast in order to get the phone. <laughs> but I certainly plan to fight all of the rich people at 2am uh, to, to get it before everybody else. <laughs> Well, so it's kind of along the lines of what, what, what Dan was saying, and, and Shali got into a little too, in terms of, um, the, 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 for me, it's, it's what's it worth, the phone, um, in day-to-day use. And we say this at Wirecutter when we give people advice on buying stuff is, do you need a new phone? Well, you know, what do you use it for? Is your current one holding you back? And how important is it for what you get done every day? And for me, kind of like Shali, uh, you know, my phone is basically, I've got a desktop computer, my laptop computer, I don't use much because a lot of what I used to do on my laptop, I do on my phone now. And, and you know, I think 600 bucks was a lot for a 2007 iPhone. I mean, when I look back at what it could do and what I did with it every day, like it was actually a huge premium. But if I look now at what I use my phone for, um, I definitely use, use it. How can I phrase this? Like I get, I get more than a laptop's use out of it. If that makes sense. So mm-hmm. for me, um, I think a thousand dollar phone, like I could personally justify that given my workload every day and what I do and how much of that I spend on my phone. Um, whether or not I'm actually going to buy the 10 is a different question because even like Dan was saying, yeah, that iPhone 8 Plus is like 45 bucks a month on the Apple Upgrade program and it's almost 60 bucks a month for the iPhone 10. So like it's another 15 bucks a month every month just for that extra. And I'm not sure that the stuff that's in the 10 is going to help me do my job or live my life better at this point. Um, I think the eight is probably fine, but kind of like you, Mike, I'm still kind of on the fence going like, Oh, but that would be nice to have. (laughs) (laughs) But, but yeah, I think it, I think it depends on the person, but um, I could easily justify that, um, that amount given what I use it for. Well, uh, I, I was just pointing out that people paid $17,000 for an Apple Watch, so <laughs> who knows? <laughs> um, thanks for your thoughts on that. That's our, our last regular topic, but we have just enough time for a bonus topic today. This week's bonus topic is brought to you by Ting. Ting is a mobile phone service that wants to help you save money. Ting believes you should only pay for what you use, and with prices like $10 per gigabyte of data, the average Ting customer pays just $23 a month per phone. If you're in the U.S. and use a cell phone, you'll love what the folks over at Ting can do for you. Ting doesn't believe in contracts or overage fees or unlimited plans with tons of catches. They have top-rated, no-hold customer support, and when you call Ting, you get through to a real person. They're focused on offering the best prices they can for their customers, and any savings they can make, they pass on to you. 80% of devices made in the last two years are eligible to come to Ting, and Ting supports both GSM and CDMA. Ting even allows you to get the latest iPhone as soon as it launches, along with Apple Care too. 
If you're stuck in a contract, Ting will offer a 25% credit off your early termination fee as well. That's up to $75 per device that you bring. To get started, head over to clockwise.ting.com and use Ting's handy device checker to confirm your phone can make the move. And if you're looking to upgrade, Ting has plenty of options for you in their online shop. Listeners of this show can save $25 on selected device or keep it as Ting credit. Once again, head over to clockwise.ting.com and see how much you can save. We thank Ting for their support of Clockwise and Relay FM. And now, bonus topic for you, friends. Let's keep it quick. You've had a long day of work <laughs> writing about an Apple event, let's say. What's your indulgence of choice, Shali? My indulgence of choice is lying in my hammock with a good book. Actually, after the uh, event yesterday, it was probably uh, two in the morning by the time I was done with everything. <laughs> um and I decided to have an Imperial Coffee Stout, and I was very happy that it was Imperial <laughs> and not just a regular old coffee stout. So I quite indulged on that and uh, finally, you know, nodded off to sleep. <clears throat> the Apple events are usually on Tuesdays. I have a Tuesday basketball league every Tuesday evening, so nice. I, I try to go and get away from tech as much as possible and get some exercise. Uh, the only problem is that everybody there knows what I do for a living, so I end up spending <laughs> two hours talking to them about the Apple event and what I think. So, but uh, but yeah, that's my go-to. Can't escape it. Well, I ran off to the gym, uh, similar idea, Dan, and then I played a couple hours worth of video games because mindless <laughs> shooting things definitely helps take your mind off work. All right, thanks for that. We're wrapping up. All that's left is for us to thank our guests, Sholly McFarland, author of the forthcoming Take Control of High Sierra. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to talk with you guys. Aww. And, of course, Dan Frakes, thank you so much for making me spend too much money all the time with all the great stuff you put out over on the wire cutter. And thanks for being here today. Oh, thanks for having me, and thanks for buying stuff through us. <laughs> and paying for my salary. <laughs> Anytime, friend. And, Micah, the best news I can give you right now is there's no Apple event for the next six months. <laughs> Probably. Probably? <laughs> Who knows? Probably. <laughs> Hopefully we're done. So if there is, we'll, we'll talk about it next time. But until then, we remind you, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye.